Last week, I believe, we started a new series called Revived. Can you say revived? revived? To be revived means that you were once dying, or maybe even once never alive, and the Lord has revived you. He's brought you back to life. Anyone in here ever have any near-death experiences? Anyone here almost been on their way out of here and God truly revived you? All right, so you know what I'm talking about as far as it relates to the natural. But in the spiritual, we also must realize that we also had a near-death experience before Christ. That if we did not get saved and give our lives to God because he offers salvation to us, then we could have been lost. We begin talking about ways that we can know if we are dying on the vine. We came out of 1 John chapter 2 and we learned that Jesus himself is the vine and we are the branches. And it's his desire that we bear much fruit. Can you say much fruit? He's looking for bountiful fruit to come from us, okay? Because any gardener doesn't want the smallest tomatoes in a neighborhood, all right? Any farmer doesn't want the smallest corn in all the fields around. You want your fruit to be bountiful. You want it to be worthy of praise. And we know that God is worthy of praise, correct? So since God is worthy of praise, he desires that our fruit be worthy of praise as well. So we're going to learn a little bit about what that fruit is. But first of all, you can be a Christian and dying on the vine. And the word of God says that if we produce no fruit, that he will cut us off and we'll be cast aside like branches ready to be burned with fire. Or sometimes he will cut us back. Can you say, ouch? Sometimes God cuts us back and we're like, God, what did I do? What was that for? Are you punishing me? No, it's not punishment, my son or my daughter. It's pruning. I am pruning you so that you can be even more fruitful, that you will trust me at a greater level, that you can produce even more fruit. So some signs of dying on the vine we saw were that there is no fruit as it relates to life. We talk about life at this church, L-I-F-E, love, identity, faith, and purpose. So when those things begin to fade in your life, it's a good sign that we're dying on the vine. We're not walking in love. We're not walking in the identity of Christ. We're not living by faith, and we're not fulfilling the purpose in which he sent us to this earth to live out. Each and every single one of you were invented by God for a purpose, his purpose. So you can either live out your purpose or you can live out his purpose for your life. And we need to be careful and say, Lord, help me determine how I'm living. Am I living for me or am I living for you? The blessed life is to live for God. I tell you what, if it was up to me, I'd probably be in jail or in a cemetery somewhere because I was a crazy fool. I was full of lust and full of sin, and I chased everything that I wanted until God radically saved my soul. It was him that saved me. It was him that turned my life around and changed my mind and put me on the right track. Another sign that we're dying on the vine is we're not reading our Bibles. We're not praying. We're not doing those things that keep the nutrients flowing to us spiritual. Yes, you have a natural life, but you have a spiritual life as well. Your spiritual life, your spirit man on the inside of you needs nutrients. It needs the word of God. It needs time with God. Your soul should long for God. And when you spend no time with God and you spend no time with his word, then it means that you are becoming very weak and dying spiritually. We need that. For the Bible says man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we need to have a personal revival. 
You hear a lot of churches and a lot of people talking about revival, revival, revival. And praise God for the coming revival. But the revival is sparked by our own personal revival. Are you revived? Because a dead man cannot perform CPR on anybody. So we can't be shouting revival, revival, revival when we're spiritually weak and spiritually dead on the insides ourselves. So the end of uh, verse 7 in that passage says this. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, how do we get his words to remain in us? We read them. You read your Bible and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will remind you of all truth. So you don't have to memorize the Bible. The Holy Spirit is on board and he will bring to recall those verses you need when you need them. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. And it will be granted when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. So the measure of a true disciple then is when we are producing much fruit. This brings great glory to my father. So the beginning of verse seven in John chapter two, first John chapter two, verses 15 through 17. The end of that says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want. And it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. So listen, while God was super pleased with this baptism that happened, that's not it. When God is super pleased when we get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not it. Because the mark of a true disciple is when we're producing much fruit. So the key to personal revival is to recognize that you've separated yourself from the king, the vine, the source of life. The study of and obedience to the word of God activates faith and propels you towards a fruitful purpose. There was a great rebuke in the Bible when Jesus wrote a letter to the churches or had John write a letter to the churches. He said, you have left your first love. You have left your first love. When we leave our first love, we begin to abandon Jesus Christ for the world. And we have a great, a great uh, revelation from the Lord that says this, that if the love of the, fa- of the world is in us, then the love of the Father is not. So we need to examine our hearts and say, Lord, where is my love? And a great indicator of where our love is is where our time goes. I can't hardly say that I love my wife if all my time is spent with another woman. I'd have some problems. I'd have some issues. And we can't say that our love is for God and we are dedicated to him always if all of our time goes for our pleasure in this world. So what does it look like then to begin producing the Lord's fruit? Let's go to Philippians, please. Please turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I'll be coming out of the New Living Translation. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I've talked about what it looks like to be dying on the vine. I've told you that Jesus Christ desires that if we're going to be his true disciples, that we produce much fruit, for this brings glory to God. And the fruit that we're really looking for, brothers and sisters, this morning, the fruit that God desires is godly character on the inside of us. That the more we study his word and the more that we spend time with Jesus, that our character changes to him. 
I've heard of people from the north, Yankees, moving to the south, and they're getting an accent down there. Like, how in the world are you getting an accent, a southern drawl, and you're from Boston? (laughs) Well, they've started spending, they've immersed themselves in the southern culture. I I almost started talking about some soul food, but I'm so hungry that I'm not going to put out a whole menu. That would have been like 20 minutes worth of me saying ham and beans and cornbread. Okay, but they immerse themselves in southern culture and cuisine. Their lingo in the south becomes this new person's lingo as well. And the more they hear the talk, the more they adopt it, and they start it sounding like that. They might be from Boston, but now you can't separate them from someone born in South Carolina because they've immersed themselves in the culture. So what God is looking for, that when we are connected to the vine, that we start receiving the culture of the kingdom of God, and we begin talking like Jesus, and walking like Jesus, and believing like Jesus, and the character of God becomes our character. It's Damien no more. It becomes uh, Damien no longer lives in me, but Christ lives in me. The fruit of Christ, the character of Christ. And when someone has an encounter with my fruit, they don't say, ooh, that tastes like the word. That tastes like Damien. Damien sure has an attitude today. It should be, oh, wow, this man is so gentle. This person is so loving, patient, kind, right? The fruit of God, the character of God. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. I pray that your love, your what? Love. I pray, and what is God? God is? So he says this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. So that's why we read the Bible, brothers and sisters. It's not even if you finished it and you've read the whole thing, you're not done. It's not a one-time book, okay? Just like you can't say because you ate Thanksgiving last year that you're going to skip Thanksgiving this year. You guys are quiet. Did you think I was going to ask you to fast on Thanksgiving? Is that why you got scared? We feed our natural man. And the Bible is what feeds your spiritual man. Say this with me. The Bible Bible feeds feeds my spirit man. man. Without the Bible, your spirit man does not eat. Now, you can watch a sermon, but I've always said this. To me, watching a sermon or watching TV online is like watching a cooking show. It looks delicious. It looks so good. But I can't smell it, I can't taste it, I can't consume it. So while hearing the word does produce faith in us, you've got to have a personal time where you pull up a chair and you pull up the Bible and you open the word and you begin to eat the word of God for its nutrients so that you might keep growing in knowledge and understanding. Let's go to verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters. Ask this question with me. Say, what What? really matters? matters. I'm glad you guys asked. That question came at a perfect time in my message. What really matters? Here's what it says. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Is Jesus Christ coming back? 
And are we living like it? So must be preaching the right message, right? Because if he was coming back, we'd be living totally different. We'd be living in expectation of his return. The Bible says that we should be uh, yearning for his appearing, just desiring for him to appear. So if we're not living for the return of Jesus Christ, then what are we doing? That's what really matters is that Jesus is coming back. Let's keep going. Verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. So remember, God desires that we bear much fruit. So what is this fruit? We're learning about the fruit right now. Okay. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. So without salvation, we can't produce this fruit. You must know Jesus Christ. You must be one with him. He is the vine. We are the branches. And the fruit is produced off of us. Okay. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So. Do we sin sometimes? Yes. Sometimes we mess up, but we don't sin all the time. Okay. Our sinful lifestyle was buried. Our sinful lifestyle was buried with Christ. And now there's a newness and Christ lives in us. Every, every once in a while, a situation is going to knock the old you out. Well, I'll tell you what, if that's the way you feel, then your mama. Oh, that's just me. There are situations in which your old character will appear. People will push you into anger, a lustful situation. Some kind of situation will cause that old man or woman to come back. But that's not the fruit of God. The fruit of God is godly character. You see, Jesus Christ is our role model. He is our standard. We're supposed to live up to the standard of Jesus Christ. And so the word of God says that We need to understand what really matters so that we may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Listen, don't you get caught up in politics. Don't you get caught up in racism. Don't get caught up in all that nonsense that's going on outside that in the world because your call is to live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. The righteous, here's the fruit. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. So here it is. If the Lord's fruit is in us, it means we'll have his character as well. That's how you know if you're truly attached to the vine and your branch is producing fruit, it's because you have the character of God. You have the love of God, the peace of God. You have the the will of God, the desires of God, because you are of God. You see, a tomato plant cannot produce apples. Neither can a man who is in Christ produce evil. It cannot happen. We cannot be in Christ and produce evil. Because if something happens and we do sin, that sin didn't come from the vine. That sin didn't come from him. That came from us. So just imagine a little, a little branch shooting out of you and your own fruit growing right there. That had nothing to do with the vine. That did not come from Christ. 
that was not the character of Christ in that moment. And so that is when, that is when that we must crucify our flesh. That outward branch, that outward branch of the flesh that tries to grow off of us, that foreign branch has to be cut off and crucified so that that fruit that remains might be the character of God. That is why we must pick up our crosses to deny ourselves and follow him. Because every once in a while, there'll be those wild branches. And if you're not careful, that wild branch will be producing more and more fruit. And you'll see that you're becoming more and more like the old you than you were Christ. And the great danger is that we must remember that God is the husbandman. He is the one that walks through the garden and cuts off those things that don't belong to God, those people that don't belong to God, and trims back those that do so that they might produce more godly character. So that lets you know when God is cutting you and pruning you, he's he's putting you in situations in which godly character will need to be shown. I hope you're getting this because I'm learning as the Holy Spirit is giving it to me right now. I'll say it again for those of you who are thinking about your order for lunch. (laughs) Godly character only comes from God. So we must begin to recognize and realize if we are producing some wild branch in our lives. And we must begin to recognize it and to say, Lord, I'm going to cut this off because I don't like the way I've been talking to my wife. I'm going to cut this branch off because I don't like the attitude I've had with my boss recently. I can't hardly stand him. He gets on my nerves. Every time I see him, I want to do something. Ooh, that's not godly character. Where'd that come from? Then you need to do a self-examination. Say, oh, look at that branch right there. I've been carrying bitterness. I've been carrying unforgiveness. I've been carrying anger. And now I'm seeing the fruit of it because that character was not of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. So we're learning now the 10 steps of revival as taught to us uh, through the word of God by the life of Mephibosheth. Okay? So the first thing we must do, number one, is we must recognize the royal source of love, goodness, kindness, and power. So when Mephibosheth was a young boy, you remember, he was crippled because uh, his father had been killed, his grandfather had been killed, and now the nurse, the maiden, was trying to escape the palace uh, to save his life. And as she was running... He fell out of her arms and broke his ankle. He became crippled for the rest of his life. Of course, he had to move out of the palace, and now he was disconnected from royalty. Can you say disconnected Disconnected. from royalty? royalty? The reason we need a revival, number one, is because sometimes we get disconnected from royalty. We get disconnected from the king. We get disconnected from our fellowship with the Lord. And we must begin to realize again who this Jesus is. The first step of revival is to remember who the royal one is, who the one we've disconnected ourselves from or the one that we desire to stay connected to is. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. We need to learn about who Jesus is again. We need to learn and recognize the royal source of love, goodness, kindness, and power. Years later, after Mephibosheth was a grown man, 
King David came to town asking, is there anyone left from Jonathan's house that I might show kindness to? So the king came looking for Mephibosheth. That's a good, that's a good God right there. I want to say that again. I'm telling you all about revival, but we got a God so good that'll come looking for you. He's saying there's someone that's living below their means. There's someone with royal blood that's still alive, but they're not connected to the, my goodness. So I need to reconnect them to my good. Praise God that even the Lord can look at a pile of branches that were reserved for the fire and say, are you ready now? Are you ready to repent yet? Are you ready for salvation now? Because God is patient and it's not his desire that anyone perish. So the king came looking for Mephibosheth. Let's see who this Jesus is. We're in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, and it says this. This is the revelation of John. John wrote this while he was having a vision. He says this. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, and that was the Lord. For he judges fairly. And wages a righteous war. You see, all this evil that's going on in the world right now, it seems to be uh, no defense for it. it seems, we're asking God, where is our help? Is, is the government going to help us? Nope, because there's evil men even in the government. So I don't care if you're a donkey or, or an elephant, there's evil on both sides, okay? So our help doesn't come from there. Our help comes from one that's going to be riding a horse, and his name is Faithful and True, right? So let's keep going. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Remember I told you that when you spend time in your Bible, it's just like spending time with Jesus? And now we see that that is even one of his names, Word of God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven dressed in the finest. I hope you're picturing this because this is real. This is not Steven Spielberg. This is not some kind of fantasy. This is real. This is going to happen. And we're going to see it with our own eyes one day. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That's the Lord that we serve. He is Jehovah. He is the king of all kings. So remember, I told you that the first step of revival is beginning to recognize royalty and who you belong to. So Jesus Christ is above every president, every governor, every ambassador, every king. All right. He's above them all. And that's who we need to be connected to. So you don't pray, oh, I wish this one was in the White House because then the economy would be better. My life would be better. You're tied to the wrong royalty. You need to go way higher than the White House. And you need to realize that Jesus Christ is king of all kings and Lord of all lords. That's the first step of your personal revival. So maybe we need to ask a question to ourselves. Who is Jesus to you? Remember when he was here on earth with his disciples? 
He said, who do men say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? Church, if you want the revival waters to start flowing in your heart right now, you need to answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not so much who the pastor says he is or who mom or dad says he is, but who do you say that Jesus is? Romans chapter 15, verse 13. We're reconnecting ourselves to the king. If we want personal revival, we must remember who God is. So who is this God? Romans 15, 13 says this. I pray that God, the source of hope, who is he? The source of hope. Who is he? The source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that personal revival begins to flow in us again when we recognize that God alone is our source of hope. That's probably why we're dead. That's probably why we're dying. Because we don't recognize that only God is our source of hope. We're waiting for something else to come along and help our lives and give us a good day or give us a good life. But we must recognize that God alone is our source of hope. So that's step one. Step one to our personal revival is to remember or recognize the royal source of love, goodness, kindness, and power. And that is God himself. So when Mephibosheth was called to King David's presence, he recognized who the king was, and he bowed himself down low. So that's, that's worship as well. If he's really king, we will worship him. If he's really king, we will bow down low to him, and we will serve him, and we will say, I am your servant. So there is no personal revival without recognizing who God is, and number two, I guess almost, or 1A, is who you are. You are not him. You are way lower than him. You are at his mercy. And this is, a, this is the greatest time in history right now because we are in the age of grace. God is so gracious to us that all men can come to him and be saved by calling upon the name of Jesus Christ. So that was step one. Step two then. The step two of your own personal revival is this. There is a covenant out there. A promise commitment to the well-being of another. So step two is remembering the covenant. So we remember the king first. Now we remember the covenant. So the reason that David came looking for Mephibosheth was because he had a covenant with uh, Mephibosheth's father named Jonathan. David and Jonathan were the best of friends. And they, they were just like brothers, even loved them. So they, they loved their own, they loved their souls, the Bible said. So he desired to show goodness because of the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a covenant out there that we can call upon. There is an agreement that God has with faithful believers that he will always honor. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 1. In order for there to be a revival, number one, we must recognize who God is again. And number two, we must remember the covenant that he has made with us because we know that God is not a liar. We've had the king. We've had kings of this world stand on podiums and say no new taxes. 
And if you're laughing, that tells me how old you are. <laughs> and then there was new taxes. They always say one thing to get your votes, to, to draw you into covenant with them. And then once they got your vote and they're promoted, they forget all about the covenant, don't they? But God is not a man that he should lie. So when God makes covenant, he keeps it to a thousand generations. Say this with me. God is a covenant-keeping God. The covenant. We've got that covenant with him. Let's listen. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there, are all, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, can you say Jesus? Our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, so here's the covenant that God made with us. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. Let's not be found in that category. Let's not be found as ones that God can say they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turn my back on them, says the Lord, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Did you know that you can remind God of his word? So when you're going through anything and it seems like it's impossible, first of all, we know that the Bible says that with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? So you can remind God of this covenant. You said, God, you said that you would be my God and I would be your people. So, Lord, I'm not fearing anything that the doctor is saying right now. I'm not fearing the bill collector. I'm not fearing the way my children are living right now because we've got a covenant. I, you are my God and I am yours because that's what you said. Amen. My father used to tell a story where his mom promised that he was going, she was going to get him a bike and he bugged her and bugged her and but mama, you said, you said you were going to get me a new, boy, I know what I said. We can go to God with this same thing and say, God, you said that you were going to be my God. 
and I am your, I am your child. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 11. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never remember again remember their sins. How many of you have some family members or loved ones that don't know Jesus yet, and you're desiring that they get saved? I think we could probably pray this over them. Because he said, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Verse 13, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Another leg or branch of God's covenant with us is basically all the promises in the Bible. All the promises in the Bible are God's covenant with us. And all the promises in the Bible are both yes and amen. And listen to this one in Hebrews 13, 15. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to never leave us. And never forsake us. No matter what it looks like you're going through in your life, God has promised that he will be there with us always. God is a covenant-keeping God. So this is one of the main reasons we have to continue to read our Bibles. The reason the enemy doesn't want you reading your Bible is because he wants to keep you ignorant. He wants to keep you ignorant of God's promises towards him. Because God's promises towards you are law. And the devil can't stop any of God's promises unless you don't know about it. Many years ago, my mother worked for Sprint uh, United Telephone Company, okay? And uh, her friend uh, worked there as well. And one day, my dad was reading their, their contract. And he told my, my, my mom, he said, you know what, Cheryl? They're not paying you enough. And she said, get out of here. I'm the one that works there. I know how much I'm supposed to be making. He said, nope, nope. They are not paying you what they should be paying you according to contract. So she told one of her friends at the phone company, and, and that friend said this, if he's right, I'll buy him a steak dinner. Well, guess who got a steak dinner? The one who was right, because he took the time to read her contract. All right? Don't let me be the only one reading the contract. There's some, I know you trust me as pastor to feed you and tell you what God says, but I can't tell you everything he said. I can only tell you what he's saying right now. You have some situations going on in your life that I might not speak over in today's sermon. But if you get in the word and you look at the covenant and you see the promises, you can say, Lord, you said, you said that no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. You said that I am the head and not the tail, the above and not the beneath, the lender and not the borrower. Lord, you said that you would heal my body. You said healing is the children's bread. See, the more verses you know, listen to this, please watch me. The more verses you know, the bigger your contract gets. That's why you got to stay in that word so you can see God's promises towards you and you can live ab above Mephibosheth's level. The reason 
Jonathan, the reason David came looking for Mephibosheth was because there was a contract. There was a covenant that he kept with his father. And if David, being a man, can keep covenant, how much greater can our king keep covenant? Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet at this time. Thank you for your patience today. We know that God moved miraculously through our baptism service. And I don't want to hold you or prolong the time, but it is so important that you at least get those two steps because there's eight more. All right. Step number one, we must remember who the king is. Who do you say Jesus is? Because if you just say, oh, he's just rabbi or he was just he was just a miracle worker or he was just this or he was just that. See, even the Muslims claim Jesus was alive. But they just say, oh, he was just a great prophet. He was just a great teacher. But the covenant, listen to me, the covenant comes alive based upon who you say Jesus is. So if you say Jesus, you are exactly who you said you were. You were the son of God. You are the son of God. You are king of kings and you are Lord of lords. And I, I think we should adopt this name for him or, or, or at least express this character. Say this with me. God, God you're, a you're a covenant keeper. Man, that should bless your heart right there. That, that should bless your soul right there. That God keeps covenant. It's impossible for God to lie. So that's why you need to be in the word and saying, okay, God, I see in Psalms where you promise this. I see in Galatians where you promise this. I see in Esther what you did for her. And your word says that you're no respecter of individuals. So if you, were, if you were good enough and if you were strong enough to save Daniel from a lion's den, then my Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if you save Daniel back there, and if you save the Hebrew boys back there, and if you save Jews from concentration camps years ago, then you're willing to do something for me in my situation right now because you're a God that never changes. You keep covenant. You keep your promises. Father, we thank you for teaching us the steps of our personal revival. You want to see us fruitful. You do not want us to be branches that are dried up and reserved for fire. You get much glory when we are fruitful. And the first step, we must recognize that Jesus is who we said he is. He is our personal savior, our personal king, our personal redemption, and we worship him as such. We're connecting ourselves back to the source of life. That's what we recognize Jesus Christ as, the source of our new life. And when we begin to do that, the revival waters begin to flow again. Step number two, God, was we remember the covenant. We remember your promises towards us, your great love for us, God. Father, I'll pray this again over the people. Would you please give them a hunger to pick up their Bibles every single day? And just as they eat three meals a day naturally, Lord, would you begin to impress upon them to read the word of God as the Holy Spirit leads them to? I don't tell them how many times to read God because that would just be giving them a religious practice, a ritual. It should come from the heart. We should read the Bible because we love the Lord and we want to hear what he has to say.
so God, would you do that? Help us to fall out of love with the world and worldly activities that take up so much of our time. And remember that we're supposed to be living like Jesus Christ could appear at any moment. What do we want to be found doing? He says, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Thank you for these people that you sent here today. I pray blessings upon them all. Thank you for the baptisms. Thank you for the salvations, God. We love you and we thank you, Lord, that these people that were baptized today, that they would set themselves up to be discipled, God, to learn more and more and more about you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.